I would need a full day to read out the list of achievements and credentials of Jennifer John. Jennifer is not only the most incredible singer, phenomenal composer, writer, vocal coach and mentor, but as you will learn, she is someone who draws on her creativity and compassion to impact the lives of many. Whether it be training her countless number of choirs or as a one-to-one coach to individuals, including many a famous artist, Jennifer is a powerhouse. Yet it is not just her love of music that drives her. Jennifer is fueled by passion and purpose to create singing projects and develop singing communities that bring people from all different backgrounds together in a spirit of connection and community. Jennifer John is a true inspiration. So let's talk on to Walk On With Jennifer and let's see where it leads. So Jennifer, you're hot off a tour um, with your band Killer Fernandes and obviously you played with your amazing choir at the Cream Classics under the eyes of our wonderful Liverbirds. How does it feel to be back performing live again after the past 18 months? I think it, it, well, it feels amazing, to be honest. I was a little bit apprehensive about travelling because there were so many new rules. I just didn't know how stringent the rules would be and what it would be like to travel and would I get it wrong, but I didn't. And once I got through the airport and I got to be with my fellow musicians and then when we, when we stood in front of the first audience, it was incredible. And actually, mm. I said that to the audience. I said, we've missed you. And isn't it amazing to stand in a room and be able to have this shared energy and everywhere that we played people you know applauded that because we've been starved of it yeah and so and it's made you realize just how important we are to each other after that waterfront cream classics I was just on the biggest high and it wasn't just about the performances which were sensational that just feeling that the beat of that the boom of the music the lights the crowd coming together, the sea. It was like a sea of smiles. I mean, you get that anyway, but that we just suddenly appreciated what we'd missed and and the importance of coming together and music. And I think that's the simple thing about life, isn't it? The simple thing about humanity is that we're social creatures to have been deprived of that and then be able to come back to it. We'd come back to it with new eyes and new appreciation. It was, it's wonderful. Well, I mean, I absolutely loved it. And that's the one thing that I definitely got from it. And your choirs are like wonderful example of community and cohesion. Every one of your choir members that day must have just been on the biggest high, the biggest high. And we were, and it was the electricity of the audience because even before the show started, the anticipation we felt from that audience was what spurred us on to give a performance that was about give and take. It was definitely a, a conversation. It was a performance. Yeah. Audience. Yeah, we're back. We're back. Music yeah. is back. Let's come yeah. together again and celebrate. Yeah. And it, you know what? It was needed more than ever. But when it was even more needed was during lockdown. Now, in true Jennifer style, the world stops. The art industry is rocked to its core. But you weren't having any of that, were you? During lockdown, I, I sort of felt like I often do. I felt something, but I wasn't sure what it was. And when I don't know what something is, I don't do anything until I know. Yeah. And I trust that time and space will allow me to know. So I sat and I watched what was happening in the world. And what I saw that I found really amazing was that creativity kept showing its wonderful head like it always does. But this time it was different. Because we were forced to direct our attention in one place, which was mostly digital, it was mostly Mm -hmm. online, we had to adapt, didn't we? We had to adapt from real life to suddenly changing our perspective and our directions to doing stuff that was 
online and I saw loads of creativity happening online and I was like here we are here we are in all our glory but what can I do I want to do something but I don't know what it is before lockdown I'd always wanted to do um, a global project that was about bringing people together from across the world to share the same thing which was singing and it didn't matter if we spoke the same language or that we looked the same whether we were the same ages or whatever it was it was about celebrating our difference the constraints of real life are that you have to think about the cost of flights you have to think about the logistics and suddenly I had a eureka moment I thought oh my god this global project that I've always wanted to do I can do it from my living room so all I need to do is Mm. to reach out to the people I know from around the world and say look let's all sing together But I also thought, because what I saw was lots of squares appearing and all the squares looked the same to me. So lots of choirs were performing and no disrespect to those squares because we needed them. But I thought, how, when we feel isolated, can we do something that feels like it has movement and passion and makes us feel connected? I reached out to lots of people and I said, look, I'm doing this project. Please come and take part. And a lot of people came back to me and said, yes, which was amazing. But a lot of people came back and went, no, 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 I can't sing. And I said, that, that is not what this project about is about. What this project is about is about you being in your natural environment, where you feel comfortable doing what you normally do, and let's just do it together. And even if you don't think of yourself as a singer, just mouth the words if that's what makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. It was about the coming together, wasn't it? Like you yeah. say. And, and it was. But the things that I pick up from you, Jennifer, you say, I, I just contacted everybody I knew from around the world. And you know an awful lot of people. And they oh. all, of course, they all said yes to you because that's the power of you, Jennifer. You're a visionary. And I think anybody who you approach, who you ask of something, are going to say yes, because that's, honestly, that's who you are. That's the energy you give. Um, Oh, that's okay. That's all right. Because I know you're not used to taking compliments, but you know what? You're going to take it today. I'm I'm your friend and I'm telling you. For once, I'm telling you what to do. I'm being very brave. I don't normally do that. (laughs) It was really really emotional. Well, yes, historical, in fact. I reached out to two companies to help me, because I thought I can do the singing bit, but I don't know how to make it look great and I don't know how to make it sound great. So who do I know who does do that? And I called out to Zoot Media in Liverpool who went, and I yeah. said, I've got no money to do this. And they went, let's just do it. And then we decided we'd do it as a fundraiser. People were so kind, Michelle, they mm. donated money and it meant that we could give money to the Flory because they deliver, you know, food banks. Or, you know, yeah. just, It meant those thousands of pounds that we raised went to that. And they, it also went to All Together Now, which is the disability newspaper, who really needed it during lockdown, so it made it extra special. I didn't join, but I said my daughter definitely did, yeah. and I'll forever have Hannah, that image of Hannah with my, my dog Cassie, who's no longer with us. She's, she's, she's now fixed in time on your video. Um, but what I loved, it was people in their kitchens, in their gardens, in, in their living rooms, in you know their workplaces. It was the variety and the diversity. And that's that was just captured on one screen, the power of singing and coming together. And what I said to people that I knew from other parts of the world were, if you've got a national dress or you've got an item of clothing that represents where you're from, so it could be that it could be your fo- your favourite football team or you're, you're in a choir, wear it so that we yeah. can see that it's got this flavour of global because we're all going through it together well music it brings out the best in people doesn't it as well you can't be unhappy when you're singing can you or can you music happens in so many different occasions so it happens when you lose someone in life in those major celebrations like funerals singing happens 
Singing has the power to be poignant, powerful, joyful, sad. We've all got those songs that represent significant times to us. We've all got the soundtrack of our lives, haven't we? I think it's not always a happy feeling, but it's definitely a deep, it's a point, definitely poignancy. And connection, isn't it? You connect with yourself, don't you, in a way that, you know, I know I'm always one for even on my down days, if I bang on the music in the car, instant uplift. It's, It's definitely something that I've always turned to. Just taking you back, though, in terms of, you know, I know you love music, but I think it's the love of the bringing people together that seems to inspire you even more and pushes you on with all these incredible projects that you've done. But can I take you back to where did that begin, Jennifer? I mean, I know you've had, you have wonderful parents. So tell me just about a little bit about your early, about your early childhood and how you got into music. I'm first generation English. My parents are not English. And I know about the struggles for them to be here you know, before my, my father passed, they migrated to England and they migrated to England in the 60s under the premise there was Enoch Powell, who was a politician at the time, who said, welcomed certain foreigners into this country on the premise that it would be the land of milk and honey. And it wasn't. But my parents' reason for being here was to make sure that their children had what they didn't have. And boy, did they succeed. And so I think my appreciation for giving comes from the sacrifices that my parents made so that I could have a better life. I cry all the time. That's okay. I I love that about you. So do I. But (laughs) that's that's probably why we connect. But so in terms of the music side of it then, come on to that your passion for social change and through music as well in a moment through sense of sound. But in terms of the music, where did that begin? Well, there was always a piano in my living room. So when I was growing up, I've got an older brother who's five years older than me. And when he was, when we were little, he was an exceptional piano player, classical okay. piano player. And I just wanted to be like he he was. So excuse me, these tears just are falling naturally. That's, that's okay. <laughs> and so I wanted to be like him. And at the time, the Greater London Council, so I grew up in the East End of London. So the Greater London Council had a scheme which meant that all school children could have the opportunity to have new free music education. So someone came into my school with an array of instruments and I got a chance to try them all out. And the one I loved was the violin. So for all of my school life, from the time I was about six till the time I left when I was 18, I went to a music academy in parallel with my ordinary schooling. And I led my junior orchestra. I was in various choirs. I played the piano and I was just immersed in music and creativity. Very, very classical world. I loved it. And so it happened from a very early age. People sometimes ask me, what would you do if you weren't a singer? I've got no idea. (laughs) Well, you're incredibly blessed because it's just so lovely that it's part of your life and it's just ingrained into your soul, isn't it? Um, From that early experience. And it just just proved that the power of our early years, because music, from my understanding, is it just... it gets into your skin, but it's not only from a musicality point of view. It's from like, I think if you, it makes you a better person, a better listener, more empathy. If you listen at, you know, in terms of the beat, I'm guessing that that sound recognition. And I think I'm sure the science behind it, which you will know much more about than me. And then from an empathy point of view, from the words and the lyrics and the poetry that comes with it, music is just all powerful, isn't it? Well, music's one of those things. I think it's, you know what I actually think about music? I think it's, our human right to it. We have a human right to, because as parents, one of the first things we do with our children is sing to them. Yeah. 
they feel that that they feel you know you hold your children close to you hopefully there's a beat yeah there's a a beat but there's also a tonality you know like I remember as a kid when my dad hugged me I felt the sound of his voice in his chest yeah and it made me feel very safe so there's a sort of it happens naturally and the music is all around us all the time you know if you're religious you, you hear it in church if you're into sport you hear it on the the football pitch you hear it in shops when you go shopping there are lots of forms of enticement that come with music that are part of our lives that are really really important to me like the elevation of the quality of your life if you're surrounded by mm-hmm. music huge because it allows you to feel you have permission to feel around music whether it's you want to feel you feel like you want to get on the dance floor or you feel like you want to be peaceful or you feel like letting the tears flow you're allowed to feel through music, and that's yeah. why it's particularly powerful. So what brought you to Liverpool then? I came in 1983 when I was 18, and I'd just finished my A-levels. And there were three places in England that did the course that I wanted to do. There was one in Leeds, there was one in Liverpool, there's one in Newcastle, and I went and auditioned four of them. I was very lucky to get into all of them. And even though Liverpool was the least resourced, when I was queuing up to audition... Somebody in that queue made me laugh, and I don't think a day's gone by <laughs> where that hasn't ever been the case. Liverpool's just a great city for mm. the spirit of the people. So it didn't matter to me that it was the 80s. You know, Liverpool's a very working-class city. It cares deeply about its own sense of itself. It's the only place I've ever been to in the world where, you know, if you're, you're in a family and you can, you can call your siblings out and call them for <laughs> But if someone else dares to say the same oh, thing, yeah. You're going to kill them. Absolutely. And I think that's what, that's what Liverpool is like. So and you're I drawn it. to the passion of it then and the feistiness and the, the quick-wittedness. And the... Yeah, it's razor sharp. Liverpool's razor sharp. You know, yes. it's, you can have a belly laugh, but don't... Don't, you... <laughs> don't cross the line. Yeah, I love that. It's, a, it's philosophy for life. <laughs> yes, yeah. I love that. But from a musical point of view, uh, what were we what were we up to in the eighties in Liverpool? Gosh, a flock of seagulls, Frankie Coast to Hollywood, just spring immediately spring to mind. Sade was there as well. In terms okay. of the artists, there was like Banana Rama and Sade. And at the time when I first came to study here, I um, wanted to be a superstar. You know, like everyone did. I wanted the record deal. I wanted the, and for a while that was an option. Nearly, I never quite made <laughs> that getting signed and anyway I'm really glad I didn't um, interesting isn't it well they say it's the way it's not it certainly wasn't a failure but they're just saying it takes you in a new direction it's not meant for you is it you know when things don't happen for you it can be a good thing it can be a great thing but it can also be a soul-destroying thing especially as a singer lead mm. I call it the singer syndrome it's not like being the guitarist in the band because you the can what syndrome I didn't just catch that there lead singer syndrome oh, the lead singer syndrome okay got you so it's not the same as like being a guitarist or a keyboard player because you can pick your instrument up, play it, then put it down and go home. When you're the lead singer, you're the product. And so the pressures of that are huge. So if you have an awful day, but you've got to go on stage, you've got to find ways of not showing it. Then people call you a diva. If you then go, I want things around me to make me feel more secure, then women get called divas, actually. Men yeah, I was going to ask you about that, yeah. Luckily, I, mean, I, I don't think, I don't know if I've ever been called a diva. 
I hope I have, because it's a wonderful thing to be. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> Demanding. And quite right, you should ask for the things around you that make you feel good. You're the one who's in the bloody limelight and with the, the spotlight on you, and you've got to perform. Too right, you should ask for what you want. But I think it's funny, because I don't, surprisingly, even though I'm on often on stages and often in front of a lot of people, I really don't like the attention when it's mm. not about that. You know, I can do my job and put my hats on, but when those hats aren't on, I'm just very quiet. Yeah, well, I know that. You're quiet, but I'm sure your head isn't quiet. Is it? Is your head ever quiet, Jennifer? Because you have so much going on, so many projects, spinning right. plates. I think you've, you maybe took a little time during the pandemic I know you delivered Love Sings and you got on but I think we we both talked about how we appreciated the permission to pause how we were sort of re-emerging in much more of a self-preservation mode still wanting to be who we are still wanted to be bringing it back to you you still very much a giving person and want to create this community cohesion through your music but I think now you're in a little bit more of protective mode is that right? I think I'm more discerning you know I manage a lot of singers so I'm very protective of my singers. And actually what I've realised coming out of lockdown is that I do too much sometimes and I'm getting better now at saying, no, I can't do it. Mm. Because I used to do things and think, oh, you know, if I don't do them, then I'm letting someone down. And actually mm. what I've come to realise is that if I overextend myself, I can't do it anyway. So I have to look after myself before I can look after anyone else. Yeah, there's and a real power in saying no, isn't there? But it's something that you have to really be self-aware of, isn't it? And and take that time to pause because your instinct is to say yes. And it's a new habit that you probably have to learn to develop. Yeah. Yeah. And so I found it it harder coming out of lockdown than I did being in it. Yeah, because it's like a re-emergence, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's been a bit of a chrysalis and we're re-emerging and we're like, oh, okay. What's this new world going to hold? Exactly. And then the demands, people start going, I'm not going to blame other people for my choices, but then I was doing more than I was doing before lockdown. And lockdown, before lockdown, I was doing an incredible amount of work. Yes. When I took stock and reflected on it, I, thought, I don't know how you're actually managing to do that min- that much stuff. And so I started to question myself, well, why are you doing that much stuff? And now I mean, I'm getting better at saying, nah. Yeah. And that, well, the thing is, you've been a part of Sense of Sounds. Tell me, we can't obviously have this podcast without talking about how Sense of Sound came about. You talk about your singers. It must be post 25 years, is it? Well, Sense of Sound was originally a company. It wasn't a choir. Okay. It was a company that four women, including myself, set up. And we set it up, we set it up to be a training organisation that would make music accessible to everyone. And at the time, the four of us, and I'm going to name those wonderful women, Perry, Aline Hughes, Juliet Russell, oh. and Safina Aziz were the four women that got together. I think it was 1992 and said, let's form a company because we were all professional singers. And we found that the industry was really sexist and that okay. we wanted to tackle those inequalities, but we couldn't do it on behalf of ourselves, but we could do it on behalf of each other. And that's how our company was formed. Yeah. And then eventually we morphed into going look why don't we create a choir an ensemble of people that represents our ethos so when we chose that choir it was always about them looking as diverse as possible so that anyone who watched the choir could see themselves reflected back and and realize that music's for all of us it's not hierarchical it's actually like I said before it's our human right to be able to take part if we wish it's so lovely that you you did it with 
other ladies as well really I guess you all fed off each other and supported each other and and you're all still and what I love about you Jennifer whenever we do go out you introduce me to people who you've known forever and they all look at you so adoringly and you look at them adoringly and it's you can see that there's so much history and experiences there and love um (laughs) yeah absolutely you're you are often alone in your own head but you have got a series of people I guess that you can turn to if you need them or I know you're very self-sufficient as well so how does that work yeah I have people in my life who I adore but I tend to be very singular first so I have like a daily practice where I as you know I I get up and I sit quietly I switch all technology off I sit quietly and I just am still because I've learned over the years that when you're still, it's incredible what thoughts come to you. When you learn how to quiet the chatter, and it is a practice, it's a practice like anything's a practice. When you first start that, it can be quite panicky and a bit, because mm. you start to hear all of those thoughts that are going on in your head all the time. And that you feel like there's no way of them ever stopping. But eventually when you do this, when you sit quietly and you breathe, and I tend to do it for 15 minutes and I've done it for many years. What happens is you start to develop a sense of peace and that peace is very personal. And when you're in that peace, it's incredible. The other thoughts that having that space, they come in. Thoughts come in that Mm. you didn't even know existed. So I give myself that singular time first and then I have eureka moments or I have moments of realisation about stuff and then that's when I tend to call a friend or go, let's go for a walk. Or let's yeah, because you start from a position of almost clarity. You just need some confirmation. And that's probably why you've said they've all stayed friends with you. You're not bringing negative energy to their doorstep. In those moments of stillness and thoughts processes, I start to realise that actually, you know what, at the core of everything that's the most powerful in life is love. And that's it. And it's love of people, love of my surroundings, love of the fact that I can go to my fridge, open the door and eat something. When so many of the pe- people in the world don't have that opportunity, I think mm. I can pick up a bottle of water and drink it. And all of those things that seem very simple are those things that are coming from parents who didn't come from mm. those natural benefits of things make me appreciate that there's the simple things in life that are the most powerful. And that's when I call my friends. And it's always better here I go again but it's always better if I can tell someone what I think is amazing about them because then we just go like that we connect and surely that's what life is about crying that's okay (laughs) that's all right we can have a little moment god I've got to stop no I haven't got to stop crying actually I just I'm always you don't have to stop crying I love it but I think I'd love to take you back to the moment where you said about your friends because I do think it is important because you describe yourself as singular and that sometimes makes me a little I mean I have a real admiration for you but I also have a sense of oh I've always want to wrap my arms around you or check in on you and I'm sure you've got lots of friends like that Jennifer but you do come across as very I'm all right I'm fine but I think it's because of this year these years of like you say, this practice of appreciation and self-awareness and and pausing. I mean, it is really powerful and it is about appreciating the smallest things in life, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I try and avoid the the phrase sense of perspective because whatever is happening to anybody in their life, you know, I do think it's a potential dangerous road to go down comparing yourself to others. But I think 
that sense of appreciation can have that real powerful effect of just minimizing that overwhelm you've got something coming up in your day or something that you you need to clarify in your head when I look at you 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 do always look like you've got it all together (laughs) but I'm guessing that comes from these practices it does and I don't always have it together no and um those moments of stillness serve for when I do have it together but also when I don't because I like I said before Mm. when I don't know what to do I don't do anything so I don't feel the need to patch things over but, you know, I have my down days and I have my days where life feels overwhelming, like probably like most people do. But I also realise that that's part of life's process. And these days, I don't pretend that I am OK if I'm not. It works better for me if I can tell somebody what's amazing about them first and see the joy that that gives, then it makes me feel better. It makes me realise that actually love is two-way and I don't have to just always live in my head. And to be able to compliment someone and make them feel better is a gift. But then that makes me feel better. Yeah, there's a, what's that saying? Is it, is it Maya Angela? Be the rainbow in the clouds. That's what sprung to mind when you said that. Be the rainbow in somebody else's cloud, I think. Because I think it does... We're all human at the end of the day, no matter where we've where we've come from, what we've got, colour of skin, religion, you know, we're all human. And even just you don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. And just to give them a smile or a compliment or a hello can make the biggest difference, can't it? And then bringing them together in a choir influences the masses, you know, singing influences the masses, bringing people together. It really has, I, I'll keep using the word ripple effect and I'm going to have to find another term for it, but that's what it is. It's exactly what it is. It has a positive ripple effect. So your tiny contribution here has a massive ripple effect. And I think that's really, really important because yeah. actually things like group singing, choirs, all of that kind of thing, it leaves people with a sense of empowerment even when the singing has stopped yes when you need it it's not just an instantaneous thing that that comes and goes it stays Mm. when you when you give people an opportunity to find their voice literally and metaphorically then it's uh, life-changing for a lot of people and that's the point that's Mm. what I do that's why I do what I do because I know how much better it makes us all feel. Do you have any mentors or um, anyone in particular? I, I spotted on your Facebook this morning that you'd been with Connie Lush. Was that <laughs> yesterday? It was yesterday evening by mistake. I just thought I, I live um, in the Georgian Quarter of Liverpool in the city centre, kind of city centre-ish. It's a wonderful community. I, I'd had a long day at work and I thought I'm just going to wander into a local boozer, <laughs> <laughs> have a quiet drink, which is what I often do. I often go and sit quietly on my own. I love that. And there was Connie and, well, Val Harris is her name, and her husband, Terry, who have been, like, just this amazing contribution to Liverpool life for the last 40 years. I mean, Connie Lush, that's her artist name, is has been the blues, European blues singer of the year for many years, and I think mm. is a bit of a hidden light yes. in the city. People don't know how amazing that woman is. And I walked in there and I saw her. And as, is all, as always happens, we, we both light up when we see each other. Oh. Yeah. And then I realised, you know, I took stock and I was like, when I first came to Liverpool, you were the first, one of the first women I went and saw on stage and went, wow. And then when we became friends, it was even a bigger wow. And I look at her now and I just go, look, I can reflect on the life 
that I've had in this special city mm. and give you credit for making me who I am, giving me the confidence to go, you know what, she can do it, I can do it. Mm. So to see her last night was amazing. I'm sure you inspire her too. Have you told her how you feel? I'm sure I always do. Yeah. Always, 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 always. That's part of our relationship. Is That's that we so both nice. Yeah. That, that's so nice. What a powerhouse the two of you would be together. Go, goodness me, would you ever do anything together? We have done, to be fair. We have? Yeah, and if Connie's on stage and she spots me in the audience, she drags me up on stage and we often do duets, which is lovely. Oh, I'd love to see that. That would be very special. So, and then also, I know you performed, did you perform with Nile Rogers of all people? I often <laughs> do this where I go pinch myself and remind myself that when I was a kid uh, this was the kind of thing I wanted to do and then I'm when I'm actually doing it I go you always wanted this look what you're <laughs> doing right so um what it was was I was invited a sense of sound was invited to open for Nile Rogers at the um arena so we did that in 2017 and I mean it was just unbelievable and his generosity of spirit was that after the show he invited everyone backstage and gave us an hour of his time where we could ask any questions we wanted wow. about how he is, where he is, and all of the anecdotes that he told us, and all of the humour, and just the openness was, you know, it's one of those, it's it's a tick. I mean, it? it's sold something like 500 million records, or producer, composer, Madonna. I mean, the list oh, is yeah. endless. I mean, his, we stayed to watch his set, and his set was just like the best party you've ever been to in your oh, life. Oh, yeah. Hit after hit after hit after hit. Enjoy. It was wonderful. I know. You forget how many songs he's actually done, do you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Is there anything in particular he said that stuck with you? I love it was explicit, so I don't know if... <laughs> That's all right. Go ahead. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Google, Google Freak Out and why it was written. <laughs> I love it. I want the original title one. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> Some of the amazing experiences that we've had as a choir have meant that we can collaborate with some amazing, just the really diverse types of people. And we got the opportunity to work on a project with Massive Attack, Brian Eno and Damon Albarn. And it was a really quick um, demand that was asked of us by Greenpeace because we wanted to, we wanted to fight against more Trident missiles being brought into Britain. And so they said to me, can you produce a 50-piece choir in a week? So I did. And then it took place on the banks of the River Thames. And it was our first experience of working with Damon. So when was this? Oh, I think it was 2003. I mean, it was a long time. But it was the first really pivotal performance that we did collaboratively that made a social, political difference and that started the ball rolling for us to work with an array of amazing artists. We then went on to work. Damon, because he was happy with that first piece that we did with him, then invited us to be the singers for his um, opera, Monkey Journey to the West. And we did that as part of the first Manchester International Festival. And then we went to Paris and did it with him there. And it was one of our highlights. So yeah, it was incredible. And then we saw you at Take That as well, just again, pre-lockdown at Anfield. Yeah. What was that like? It was incredible. We love Take That. We love good old-fashioned pop. And to just do that at Liverpool's football ground was amazing. So there's been so many different kind of experiences that we've had as a choir. Yes. And some of them wish we weren't called a choir because you get a perception yeah. of what a choir is. But this is a, an ensemble of amazing, really highly talented and highly energised people that get to 
collaborate with lots of different people. And it's never it's never going to end, is it? I mean, it's a real oh, legacy sense of sound. It's the sense of sound. skin of the city now. It's a movable feast. So I'm always looking for new singers so I can add it to the mix so it can keep going. And it's not just about the original people, even though they're still there. It's about always adding new life and new energy, new blood into keeping it fresh yeah. and keeping it as diverse as possible. And in terms of what's next for Sense of Sound, though, is there anything in, on the immediate horizon? Oh, yes. On the 22nd of December, there's an evening with Sense of Sound at the Unity Theatre. OK, that will be a treat. What date is that again? 22nd of December. I'm going to put it in my diary. And I guess, Michelle, it's just one other thing. It's just that people want to get involved in singing but don't yes. know how to, then they can go to the website. Yes. I'll put the website in the show notes as well and any sort of promotional material we do with the podcast. I might just fill it in the form myself after all the all this time. Do it. <laughs> you can hear my cat, cat's choir at the back. <laughs> I'm sure you can make a singer out of me yet. I've got a bit of a voice, you know. I heard you. In there somewhere. Come on. When we have a few drinks, I hear that voice. Come on. She's laughing. She's laughing. (laughs) The other thing I know you do to switch off is your garden. Tell us about your beautiful garden in the Georgian Quarter. Well, it's more that I'm my mother's daughter. So my mum and my dad, when he was still here, were always gardening. So when we grew up, we grew up in... Uh, the east end of London, we had a little tiny yard. And on either side of the yard, there was always a variety of fruit and veg. I mean, my mum's green fingers are incredible, but it's partly to do with where they come from in the world. So Trinidad is one of those places where, because it's tropical, people grow their own food. So I think it's just part of my lineage. I think it's so gorgeous. In the middle of the city, like, (laughs) it's just this oasis of... Fruit, vegetables. You're being very modest again, Jennifer. It's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, we've got a big garden here and we've got this poxy little <laughs> section at the back. And we, we, we did get some potatoes, though. And we've just finished them off and they were absolutely delicious. So you inspired us to do that. And we will be doing more and getting your advice on that. <laughs> Tell us about what's coming up for Jennifer John and what's next for you. I know you're involved, obviously, obviously in the music board at Liverpool um, City Region. Tell us a little bit about that and then what other projects are coming up. So I suppose in the last couple of years, I have much more of a strategic role. I'm part of the Liverpool City Region Music Board, which represents the six boroughs where we're quite a unique board in the sense that we're an independent board and we're an industry-led board. So it's not just bureaucratic. All of the members around the table actually live and breathe their work within music. And so Mm. one of the major things that the last couple of years has focused on is the need for us to be really proactive in terms of developing equality for all of the people that work on stages and behind the scenes. So um, a music manifesto was inspired by the awful incident where George Floyd was murdered during lockdown and we all saw it, didn't we? We all went, oh, Mm. this is crazy. So the whole Black Lives Matter re-emerged and we as a board said, look, this isn't just about police brutality and this is not just about that side of it but this it's about infrastructures that exist that don't necessarily advocate inclusion as strongly as they should Mm. and what are we as a board going to do about that so long story short is that we created a subgroup that would deal specifically with black music and how we can encourage the people who already work in the sector but those that are up and coming to realize that it is for them and so we're in the middle of developing that and So I wrote a music manifesto that has been taken on by the city 
and the strategies that are within that document that recommend how we can move forward really progressively are being rolled out. So mm. I'm chair of that subgroup. And the next thing on the agenda is gender equality. So I'm in that subgroup too. And it's just about how we really make a change that's strategic and sustainable. So that's one side of what I'm in the middle of doing with lots of other people. But then recently I was very, very lucky to have to be taken on by two different programmes. And one was to develop myself within the commercial music industry. And the other was to set up a community interest company for all of the community work that I do. So I've got those two things happening simultaneously at the moment. So one would be that I can pay, carry on paying and employing professional singers. And the others will be that I can create large-scale singing events like everything we've been speaking about with people within community. So it sounds like all these years of experience and all this work that you've done in creating choirs and workshops and impacting people's lives is now culminating in really you now contributing on a much even bigger scale. So you've gone, you, you, you would, I think community will always be at your heart um, and that will inform, but it will just help it go on a, on a wider scale. Is that right? Is that what's driving you now? That is what's driving me now. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yes, it's definitely always been about that. It's always been about the, I like commerciality though as well, as community. Interesting, yeah. I like commerciality because it means that we can be more visible. It's hard for creatives, isn't it, to grasp that sometimes. Not not from a an intellectual point of view. It's just your passion, your heart is instinctively towards creating and being doing the musical and put it on the performances. But you've got to have that to, like you say, to be visible. You've got to have that commercial sense about you and 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 have almost both, or have a team, the right team around you to make sure that those messages are being delivered. It's true. And I think I'm a vocal coach as well. So I tend to work, I work, I'm a music industry vocal coach. So I work with artists who are successful. And one of the first things I always say to people is, why do you do what you do? And I want them to be able to tell me, because as artists, we just get on stages and we don't really think of ourselves as a business. Mm. And I think it's really important that as creatives, we understand why we do what we do. Because once you enter the commercial music industry, it can eat you up and spit you out. Yeah. And it can be soul destroying. And so if you've got a really strong sense of your core, why you do what you do, even if it does eat you up and spit you out, you don't lose your sight of yourself. So I ask that question before we even start singing. Sometimes we talk for weeks before we actually start working on technique, because I think there's a psychology to being a performer that a lot of people don't understand. Yeah, I mean, from just an audience perspective, you say, oh, they just get up and sing. (laughs) I mean, I know we know there's a bit more to it than that, but I love the fact that you work on the inside before the voice comes out on the outside. And I bet you it will help not only keep them grounded and focused, I bet it makes them a better performer if they know their why. Yeah, no, absolutely it does. Because then, because you're looking at your foundation, and once your foundation is strong, then the rest can just be built on top of that. Yeah, so are you still teaching at the Northern College of Music, is it? So I was teaching at the um, Royal Northern College of Music, and sometimes I go in and teach at Lipper. Just done a little stint at Lipper. Okay. To be honest, I hate being institutionalised, so yeah. I'll dip in and dip out. I, I never stay long-term anywhere. Actually, that's again, that's part of being singular. But I like to do lots of different things. And um, But that's the power of you, though, Jennifer. You're, you're, not, you're never going to stay on the straight and narrow. It's not who you are. You're a creative. I'm also a businesswoman who likes to do what I like to do. Yeah, but you... 
I don't like being told. <laughs> I, well, too right. And <laughs> I wouldn't ever dare tell you what to do. Well, you, like, could. Well, you could tell me because you're my friend. There's a big difference. Oh, you see. Well, I'm very privileged to be in that place. But from in terms of who you are, I love that combination of businesswoman and creative that, that's really now massively emerging. I know you've always had that, but I think it's something potentially you may have sort of um, hidden a little bit. And I think it's it, you are sort of emerging as, as a music and businesswoman. And I love that. And the fact that you're contributing is so bloody lucky to have you at the core of our city strategy in terms of the mu- in terms of the music world and the impact it can have on our communities. Brilliant. Thank you. And, you know, I, and I love it. And if I can make a difference, then I will. You will. I, well, you already are. There's no doubt about that. Oh, so we must come on to Jetta as well. You must proud mum. I'm a extremely <laughs> proud mum. Tell us a little bit about Jet. So when Jet was little, um, it was when we started Sense of Sound, the company, with those four women I mentioned before. And because Jetta was really small, but we wanted to start a business, and I was the only one at that time who had a child. So I was in my early 20s, I was 24. And I thought, I want to start this business, and I've got this small child, and what do I do? So we just all made the decision that she would come wherever we went. So Jetta is now a singer-songwriter and music producer. And I think, actually, I don't think we really think she had a choice because wherever <laughs> we were, she was dragged along and was just immersed. What a lovely world to grow up in. I mean, a chaos at times, I'm sure, but, gee, wait, she must have been absorbing all that energy and musicality and craziness. And, and, and it's definitely coming out in her now, without a doubt. And there is craze, there was craziness. And actually, when I reflected on the kind of life that she'd had, which was not necessarily traditional, <laughs> I um, thought, oh no, I mean, Jetta's been and been to scene gigs and been at parties and, and I felt really guilty. But then when she was 18, I think she did a blog where she talked about how amazing her childhood had been. And I thought, oh. <gasps> <laughs> I'm a fuck. <laughs> Social services, you don't need to be called. <laughs> Love it, love it. And not only that with him, she's now taking that into her own career, isn't she? And she, she's I mean, flying. She's just doing so well. And some of the things that she's managed to achieve, I'm just staggered by. So, And she's worked with some incredible artists. She went to, when she lived in LA, she worked with Pharrell Williams. They wrote various songs together. I've, I've been in the cinema. I've literally been in the cinema. When I, she hasn't told me when I've been sitting in the cinema and the, um, you know, like an advert, a cinema advert for the latest, what's his name, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I looked up and it was the advert for the latest Terminator movie. I was like, that's Jetta. And my mate no, was like... I, had no. she told you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so she, you know, she signed to a publisher and you constantly write songs for lots of different people and it gets sent here, there and everywhere. And then sometimes people pick it up and it's called a sync deal. Okay. S-Y-N-C. So they synchronise your music with the film. So she's done that for Grey, you know, Grey's Anatomy, for Amazing. Terminator movie. You've heard her in so many different scenarios and just sometimes quietly just gone, that's my daughter. Oh. And I'm like, I talk like this and Jet, Jet's like that. Mom, proper scouts, are not there? <laughs> we be more different. We try. Whenever we're together, people always go, are you actually related? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's more similarities than you um, care to admit, Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> that it's, it's, and you know what? Credit to you. Credit oh. to you. 
and her dad actually, because her dad was a sound producer. So her attention to detail when it comes to sound, because she's a producer as well as a musician and singer. So all of the production she had, it's her sitting there with the technology, got that from her dad, definitely. So I think the combination of us both. Amazing. So is Jetchi in London? She's in London, I'm guessing, in America? Yes, she lives in London now, but she's lived in lots of different places. So she lived in LA for a while, then she lived in Sweden, but now she's back in England. Yeah, and, wh- and when she comes home to Liverpool, what, what's the scenario? Is it, do you go out, do you stay in, do you cuddle up? Yeah, we, we get the um, onesie out and I do a lot of cooking. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So she just wants to come home and be with her mum and chill out. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. So in terms of, are you touring again soon? We're looking at next year, Killer Fernandez, the band I've just been to Switzerland and Austria with, doing some British dates because we've just launched a new album, our second album. And so we're in the process of trying to figure out best ways of independently marketing that. You know, we've got it out on Bandcamp at the moment, but we actually need to do, we want to do more live gigs. We'll do that here in the UK next year. Fantastic. It's so exciting. I'm so excited to see you um, in, in your band. It's brilliant. I've heard the music and it's it's honestly, it's just sensational. Congratulations you. to you all. I just wanted to um, acknowledge you as well for you won the People's Choice Awards. I meant to say that before when we were talking about the Liverpool City region. How did that make you feel? Because it was like an acknowledgement for making a difference in the world through creativity. Was that was that the, the terminology that they used? But basically, you've been a sensation and made a difference and then you're so bloody inspiring and it's been acknowledged publicly now. Well, you know, that it was for Love Sings, that choir project that we spoke about before, which was about bringing 180 people together from different parts of the world to sing a song that I'd written called Love Sings. That was what won... The awards and, it, and I got two awards for it actually. Got one for individual contribution to COVID response on an individual basis, and then I got the People's Choice for the same thing. Yeah. It was amazing to to receive those awards for me. Receiving those awards is that I can tell my mum, and my mum just goes ah, because oh. that's the reward, isn't it? That's because of all those sacrifices that they made to make my life better. Then I go, Mum, look, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> And that's it. Yeah. And Jessica will be doing the same to you then. Look, Mum, it works. No, she never shares her awards. She just keeps them for herself. I mean, come on. <laughs> and you're also Lady Liverpool. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I know we had a bit of a laugh about that. I wasn't <laughs> going to bring it up, but it, you just, it, it, I couldn't help it. Um, the outfit. Tell us about the outfit. <laughs> I mean, it was an incredible dress that Mary Lamb, the designer, made. It was when um, Netball World Cup was coming to Liverpool. And so I'd gone to talk to the organisation, to the organisers, sorry, about my choir, Sense of Sound, singing at the opening ceremony and at the closing ceremony. And at the end of the meeting, they said to me, oh, well, we want to talk to you about something else. And I was like, OK, no idea they were going to ask me to be Lady Liverpool. So when they said, we'd like you to represent the city, and we've got this special dress that will have the, the city skyline in the base of the dress, and we'd like you to wear it. I was like, hang on. You think, you know the way I cry at everything? I, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. I was going, lady, eh? I don't think I've ever been called a lady. And two, <laughs> and two I mean, what an honour. Yeah. And my mum saw it on television in Trinidad. So, Oh, did she? Was, yeah, because it was like a global event, wasn't it? So there was me in my dress singing Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. 
I mean, you know me, you know how ridiculous that is. <laughs> in a big ball gown. But what an honour. Chosen by the city to represent the city. I mean, come on. Yeah. Very it lucky. almost it almost nearly beats singing for me at my wedding. <laughs> Well, that nearly didn't happen, I'm, and I'm so glad it did. We become friends as a result of it, haven't we? I know, we did. And you know what, Jennifer? I will never forget picking you up in my car to take you to the venue of, of our wedding. And, you know, you have this beautiful, which I love about you, this air of coolness and quiet self-assurance. And But it doesn't take long before that big, beautiful smile comes out. <laughs> And it just lights up the room. And, you know, we just found this connection that we just get the giggles, we do the belly laughs, and that's it. We just go in, into pieces. And <laughs> often our deep and meaningful chats just turn into just hysteria. <laughs> balance in all things, isn't it? Absolutely. I love it. But behind your beautiful smile, you've got this steely, tenacious character and you're just fiercely determined to make the world a better place. And you definitely make my world a better place. And I know there are so many people you've impacted. And I'm so glad that the city did acknowledge you. And, you know, you did win that award. And I think there's much more to come. Um, I really do. And it's just phenomenal. It, just to end on, what would be your advice to 18-year-old Jennifer before we close? Be certain what you wish for. I say that to a lot of people. Be certain what you wish for. Don't be careful. Be certain. Because the, in, the world's challenging enough. But there's something about, you know, we all have dreams at some point and, I, and we're either encouraged into them or we're dissuaded out of them. We're really lucky to live a human life. We live on a wonderful planet, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like that. So I think if you have dreams and aspirations, don't be scared to find ways of fulfilling them. So I think I would say be certain what you wish for because the certainty is what you'll get what will get you from where you are to where you want to be. They say your thoughts become you, don't they? And you've got to be careful what like you say, that certainty is the key word, isn't it though? And you can you can try different things, I guess, to find what that thing is, I suppose. And that's that's the joy of being creative. That's the joy. But in the meantime, sing. Wow. Sing and dance and listen to music and stay creative and join choirs. I mean, gosh. There are loads of them out there. And don't think that you have to be an amazing singer to join a choir. What choirs are like microcosms of society. They're like this social cohesion. You don't even have to know the person next to you because it's about the group activity that matters. So don't be scared of joining a choir. Mm. It will change your life more positively, definitely. Oh, I love that. Well, you've changed so many people's lives, Jennifer, and I can't thank you enough for joining me today on my podcast. I'm so thrilled that we could, we obviously, as always, we could chat for ages. Um, but Lady Liverpool, I'm definitely going to call you that from now on. Lady. <laughs> I've been dying to say this. You have the music in you, Jennifer. Walk on. <laughs> love it. Thank you so much. Love you. It's been a joy. Honestly, it's been a real pleasure. The simple yet powerful art of conversation and communication should never be underestimated. And I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback, either via the contact form on my website, talkontowalkon.com, or on my Instagram at Michelle Walters underscore. 
Also, I'd be thrilled if you could help the Power of Conversation message to reach as many people as possible. To help achieve this dream and so that you never miss an episode of Talk On To Walk On, please rate, review and subscribe, remembering that the simplest act can have the largest impact. Thank you.